Chapter Two of Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Two the invasion of millville over the brow of the little hill appeared a three-seated wagon drawn by a pair of handsome sorrels and in a moment the equipage halted beside the sleeper oh thomas hucks you dear dear thomas cried a clear eager voice and out from the car rushed miss patricia doyle to throw her arms about the neck of the old stoop-shouldered and white-haired driver, whose face was illumined by a joyous smile. "'Glad to see you, Miss Patsy, right glad indeed, child,' returned the old man. But others were waiting to greet him, pretty Beth de Graff and dainty Louise Merrick. Not Louise Merrick any longer, though, but bearing a new name she had recently acquired, and demure mary patsy's little maid and an old friend of thomas huck's and uncle john with his merry laugh and cordial handshake and finally a tall and rather dandified young man who remained an interested spectator in the background until mr merrick seized and dragged him forward here's another for you to know thomas said the little millionaire this is the other half of our Louise, Mr. Arthur Weldon, and by and by you can judge whether he's the better half or not. The aged servant, hat in hand, made a respectful bow to Mr. Weldon. His frank eyes swept the young man from head to foot, but his smile was the same as before. Miss Louise is wiser than I be, said the old fellow simply. I'm safe to trust to her judgment, I guess. There was a general laugh at this, and they began to clamber aboard the wagon and to stow away beneath the seats the luggage the colored porter was bringing out. Stop at the junction house, Thomas, said Mr. Merrick as they moved away. Nora has the breakfast already at home, sir, replied Thomas. Good for Nora but we can't fast until we reach home eight good miles of jolting so we'll stop at the junction house for a glass of mrs todd's famous milk very good sir is anyone coming for our trunks and freight there's half a car of truck to be carted over ned's on the way sir and he'll get the liveryman to help if he can't carry it all the junction house was hidden from the station by the tiny hill, as were the half-dozen other buildings tributary to Chazzy Junction. As the wagon drew up before the long piazza which extended along the front of the little frame inn, they saw a man, in shabby gray, seated at a small table with some bread and a glass of milk before him. It was their unrecognized guest of the night, the uninvited lodger on the rear platform, but he did not raise his eyes or appear to notice the new arrivals. Mrs. Todd! Hey, Mrs. Todd! called Uncle John. Anybody milk the cow yet? 
a frowsy-looking woman came out, all smiles, and nodded pleasantly at the expectant group in the wagon. Behind her loomed the tall, lean form of Lucky Todd, the proprietor, who was serious as a goat, which animal he closely resembled in feature. "'Breakfast all around, Mr. Merrick?' asked the woman. "'Not this time, Mrs. Todd. Nora has our breakfast waiting for us. But we want some of your delicious milk to last us to the farm.' "'Last night's milk is half cream by this time,' she rejoined, as she briskly re-entered the house. The man at the table held out his empty glass. "'Here, fill this up,' he said to Lucky Todd. The somber-faced proprietor turned his gaze from the Merrick group to the stranger, eyed him pensively a moment, and then faced the wagon again. The man in gray got up, placed the empty glass in Todd's hand, whirled him around facing the door, and said sternly, "'More milk!' The landlord walked in like an automaton, and a suppressed giggle came from the girls in the wagon. Uncle John was likewise amused, and despite the unknown's frazzled apparel, the little millionaire addressed him in the same tone he would have used toward an equal. "'Don't blame you, sir. Nobody ever tasted better milk than they have at the junction house.' The man, who had resumed his seat, stood up, took off his hat, and bowed, but he made no reply. Out came Mrs. Todd, accompanied by another frowsy woman. Between them they bore a huge jug of milk, a number of thick glasses, and a plate of crackers. "'The crackers come extra, Mr. Merrick,' said the landlady, "'but seein' as milk's cheap, I thought you might like em. The landlord now came out and placed the stranger's glass, about half filled with milk, on the table before him. The man looked at it, frowned, and tossed off the milk in one gulp. More, he said, holding out the glass. Todd shook his head. Ain't no more, he declared. His wife overheard him, and pausing in her task of refilling the glasses for the rich man's party, she looked over her shoulder and said, Give him what he wants, Lucky. The landlord pondered. Not for ten cents, Nancy, he protested. The feller said he wanted ten cents worth of breakfast, and by Joe he's at it. Milk's cheap, remarked Mrs. Todd. It's crackers as is expensive these days. Fill up his glass, Lucky. Why is your husband called Lucky, Mrs. Todd? inquired Patsy, who was enjoying the cool, creamy milk. Cause he got me to manage him, I guess, was the laughing reply. Todd ain't much count unless I'm on the spot to order him round. The landlord came out with the glass of milk, but paused before he set it down. Let's see your money, he said suspiciously. It seemed to the girls, who were curiously watching the scene, that the tramp flushed under his bronzed skin. But without reply, he searched in a pocket and drew out four copper cents, which he laid upon the table. After further exploration, he abstracted a nickel from another pocket and pushed the coins toward the landlord. Another cent, said Todd. 
Continued search seemed for a time hopeless, but at last, in quite an unexpected way, the man produced the final scent, and on receiving it, Todd set down the milk. Anything more, Your Honor? he asked sarcastically. Yes, you might bring me the morning paper, was the reply. Everyone except Todd laughed frankly at this retort. Uncle John put two silver dollars in Mrs. Todd's chubby hand and told Thomas to drive on. I don't know, remarked old Hux when they were out of earshot, whether that fellow's just a common tramp or a workman going over to the paper mill at Royal. Judging from the fact as he had money, I guess he's a workman. Wrong, Thomas, quite wrong, said Beth, seated just behind him. Did you notice his hands? No, Miss Beth. They were not rough, and the fingers were slender and delicate. That's the mark of a cracksman, said Arthur Weldon with a laugh. If there are any safes out here that are worth cracking, I'd say look out for the gentleman. His face isn't bad at all, remarked Patsy reflectively. Isn't there any grade between a workman and a thief? Of course, asserted Mr. Merrick in his brisk way. This fellow, shabby as he looked, might be anything, from a strolling artist to a gentleman down on his luck. But what's the news, Thomas? How are Ethel and Joe? Mr. and Mrs. Wegg is quite comfortable, sir. Thank you, replied old Hux with a show of eagerness. Miss Ethel's grandther, old Will Thompson, he's dead, you know and the young folks have fixed up the Thompson house like a palace. Guess you'd better speak to em about spending so much money, Mr. Merrick. I'm afraid they may need it some day. Don't worry. They've a fine income for life, Thomas, and there will be plenty to leave to their children, if they have any. But tell me about the mill at Royal. Where is Royal, anyhow? Four mile up. The little Bill Creek, sir, where the Royal Waterfall is. A feller come and looked the place over last year and said the pine forest would grind up into paper and the waterfall would do the grindin'. So he bought a mile of the forest and built a mill, and they do say as things is hummin' up to the new settlement. There's more'n two hundred hands a workin' there already. Goodness me, cried Patsy, this thing must have livened up sleepy old Millville considerably. Not yet, said Hux, shaking his head. The company what owns the mill keeps a store there for the workmen, and none of em come much to Millville. Our storekeepers is mad and blazes about it, but for my part, I'm glad the two places is separated. Why? asked Louise. They're a kinder tough lot, I guess. Turnin' pine trees inter paper must be a job that takes more muscle than brains. I don't see how it's done at all. It's simple enough, said Mr. Merrick. First, the wood is ground into pulp, and then the pulp is run through hot rollers, coming out paper. It's a mighty interesting process. So some day we will all go to Royal and see the paper made. But not just yet, Uncle, remarked Patsy. 
Let's have time to settle down on the farm and enjoy it. Oh, how glad I am to be back in this restful, sleepy, jumping-off place of the world again. Isn't it delightful, Arthur Weldon? Did you ever breathe such ozony, delicious mountain air? And do you get the fragrance of the pine forests and the, the, the bumps? asked Arthur, as the wagon gave a jolt, a bit more emphatic than usual. Yes, Patsy dear, I get them all, but I won't pass judgment on Millville and Uncle John's farm just yet. Are we most there? We're to have four whole months of it, sighed Beth. That ought to enable us to renew our youth after the strenuous winter. Rubbish, said Uncle John. You haven't known a strenuous moment, my dears, and you're all too young to need renewals anyhow. But if you can find happiness here, my girls, our old farm will become a paradise. These three nieces of Mr. Merrick were well worth looking at. Louise, the eldest, was now twenty, entirely too young to be a bride, but having decided to marry Arthur Weldon, the girl would brook no interference, and, having a will of her own, overcame all opposition. Her tall, slender form was exceedingly graceful and willowy, her personality dainty and refined, her temperament under ordinary conditions essentially sweet and agreeable. In crises Louise developed considerable character, in strong contrast with her usual assumption of well-bred composure. That the girl was insincere in little things and cultivated a polished manner to conceal her real feelings is undeniable, but in spite of this she might be relied upon to prove loyal and true in emergencies. Patricia Doyle was more than two years the junior of her cousin Louise, and very unlike her. Patsy's old father, Major Gregory Doyle, said she wore her heart on her sleeve, and the girl was frank and outspoken to a fault. Patsy had no figure to speak of, being somewhat dumpy in build, nor were her piquant features at all beautiful. Her nose tipped at the end, her mouth was broad and full-lipped, and her complexion badly freckled. But Patsy's hair was of that indescribable shade that hovers between burnished gold and sunset carmine. Fiery red, she was wont to describe it, and most people considered it, very justly, one of her two claims to distinction. Her other admirable feature was a pair of magnificent deep blue eyes. Mary, mischievous and scintillating as diamonds. Few could resist those eyes, and certain it is that Patsy Doyle was a universal favorite and won friends without a particle of effort. The younger of the three nieces, Elizabeth de Graff, was as beautiful a girl as you will often discover, one of those rarely perfect creations that excite our wonder and compel admiration, as a beautiful picture or a bit of statuary will. Dreamy and reserved in disposition, she lacked the graciousness of Louise 
and patsy's compelling good humor yet you must not think her stupid or disagreeable her reserve was really diffidence her dreamy expressionless gaze the result of a serious nature and a thoughtful temperament beth was quite practical and matter-of-fact the reverse of patsy's imaginative instincts or louisa's affected indifference those who knew beth de graf best loved her dearly but strangers found her hard to approach and were often repulsed by her unresponsive manner underneath all the girl was a real girl with many splendid qualities and uncle john relied upon beth's stability more than on that of his other two nieces her early life had been a stormy and unhappy one so she was but now developing her real nature beneath the warmth of her uncle's protecting love topping the brow of a little hill the wagon came to a smooth downward grade where the road met the quaint old bridge that spanned little bill creek beside which stood the antiquated flour and feed mill that had given millville its name the horses were able to maintain their brisk trot across the bridge and through the main street of the town which was merely a cluster of unimposing frame buildings that lined either side of the highway for the space of an ordinary city block they then were in the wilds again and rambling over another cobblestone trail this ere country's nothing but pine woods and cobblestones sighed old hucks as the horses subsided to a walk lord knows what would a happened to us without the trees they saves our grace so's to speak i think the scenery is beautiful observed patsy it's so different from other country places not much farming around here i imagine said arthur weldon more than you'd think sir replied thomas there are certain crops as thrives in stony land and a few miles north of here towards huntingdon the soil's mighty rich and productive things ain't never as bad as they seem in this world sir he added turning his persistently smiling face toward the young man mr merrick sat beside the driver on the front seat the middle seat was occupied by patsy and beth between whom squeezed little mary the maid louise and arthur had the back seat a quarter of a mile beyond the town they came to a sort of lane running at right angles with the turnpike and down this lane old hucks turned his team it seemed like a forbidding prospect for ahead of them loomed only a group of tall pines marking the edge of the forest yet as they came nearer and made a little bend in the road the wag farms suddenly appeared in view the house seemed so cosy and homelike set upon its green lawn with the tall pine trees for a background that the girls who knew the place well exclaimed with delight and arthur who now saw it for the first time nodded his head approvingly uncle john was all excitement over the arrival at his country home an old-fashioned style was set in a rail fence which separated the grounds from the lane 
and hucks drew up the wagon so his passengers could all alight upon the step of the stile patsy was out at a bound louise followed more deliberately assisted by her boy husband and beth came more sedately yet but uncle john rode around to the barn with thomas being eager to see the cows and pigs and poultry with which the establishment was liberally stocked the house was of two stories the lower being built of cobblestones and the upper of pine slabs but it had been artistically done and the effect was delightful it was a big rambling dwelling and mr merrick had furnished the old place in a lavish manner so that his nieces would lack no modern comfort when they came there to spend a summer on the porch stood an old woman clothed in a neat gingham dress and wearing a white apron and cap her pleasant face was wreathed in smiles as she turned it toward the laughing chattering group that came up the path patsy spied her and rushed up to give old nora a hug and kiss and the other two girls saluted the blind woman with equal cordiality for long ago she had won the love and devotion of all three arthur who had heard of nora pressed her hand and told her she must accept him as another of her children and then she asked for mr merrick and ran in to get the breakfast served for although blind old nora was far from being helpless and the breakfast she had prepared in anticipation of their arrival was as deliciously cooked as if she had been able to use her eyes as others did End of chapter two. Recording by Linda Andrus.